Hey, hey, friends. This is Eric, and welcome to Anti-Visions. I'm in the middle of a series called Factor Fiction, composed of short segments, 10 minutes or so, where I read through Thomas Sowell's essay, The Real History of Slavery. Generally, I post one a week, sometimes more, and I'll continue to do so until I've finished reading all the way through. Be sure to look in the notes for the link to his book if you'd like to purchase a copy. Well, let's get started. I hope you enjoy. Scholars have long known that slavery was a worldwide institution going back thousands of years, though that has not led them to provide comparable coverage to slavery outside Western civilization. One scholar whose study of slavery encompassed Islamic as well as Western countries observed, quote, Slavery has been a common feature of human history, appearing in nearly every part of the world, close quote. Though his own study did not extend across the vast reaches of Asia or to the Polynesian islands, another scholar distinguished for his studies of the Atlantic slave trade declared, Slavery, until recently, was universal in two senses. Most settled societies in incorporated the institution into their social structures, and few peoples in the world have not con constituted a major source of slaves at one time or another. Close quote. Despite such common knowledge among scholars, the version of the history of slavery more commonly depicted to the general public, as well as to students in our schools and colleges, is more along the lines of roots or other similar productions. On the other end of the spectrum, one of the rationales for slavery used in both ancient times and in more recent centuries has been that consigning some people to perform the drudgery of the world freed others to pursue the higher things, education, invention, political leadership, the arts, etc., and thus advance civilization as a whole. Plato and Socrates came out of a slaveholding society, as did many of the remarkable leaders who founded the American Republic. But correlation is not causation, and even the correlation is not as clear as some apologists for slavery have assumed. Although Brazil imported several times as many slaves as the United States, it would be difficult to find Brazilian equivalents of Plato or Socrates or other world leaders in the advancement of civilization in the arts or sciences. The remarkable number of early American leaders who came out of Virginia, including Washington, Jefferson, Madison, and Monroe, had no counterparts in other southern states which collectively had vastly larger numbers of slaves than those of Virginia. The South, as a whole, lagged far behind the North in producing leaders in the arts and sciences. Slavery has been too facile an explanation of both the positive and negative aspects of slaveholding societies. The idea that slavery was based on race or racism is yet another popular notion that will not stand up to a scrutiny of history, as we have already seen. Yet beliefs about the innate ability of blacks in the United States by prominent American leaders of an earlier era have been invested with great moral implications by those seeking to score points. But beliefs are neither moral nor immoral. They may be accurate or inaccurate, founded or unfounded, but they acquire moral significance 
only when they are shaped to serve some ulterior purpose that is either moral or immoral. Belief in the innate equality of all people has been promoted in order to promote equal treatment of all people, and belief in innate inferiority has been promoted in order to justify discrimination against some people. But it is these goals which have moral significance. In the absence of such goals, the beliefs themselves are subject to the tests of evidence and logic rather than the test of moral principles. Abraham Lincoln, for example, said of blacks that their abilities were no measure of their rights. Thomas Jefferson likewise said, quote, Be assured that no person living wishes more sincerely than I do to see a complete refutation of the doubts I have myself entertained and expressed on the grade of understanding allotted to them by nature and to find that in this respect they are on a par with ourselves. My doubts were the result of personal observation on the limited sphere of my own state, where the opportunities for the development of their genius were not favorable, and those of exercising is still less so. I expressed them, therefore, with great hesitation. But whatever their degree of talent, it is no measure of their rights. Because Sir Isaac Newton was superior to others in understanding, he was not therefore lord of the person or property of others." End quote. That took the question of Jefferson's beliefs about the innate ability of blacks out of the realm of morality. Elsewhere, Jefferson pointed out how tentative any conclusion must be about the innate ability of blacks, given the lack of scientific precision possible on such questions. Although Jefferson has been criticized for having expressed doubts, what he called, quote, a suspicion only, end quote, about the innate ability of black people, his obvious pleasure at discovering the able work of Benjamin Banneker suggests that his beliefs were not the servant of some ulterior purpose. The vast majority of blacks that Thomas Jefferson saw were illiterate people whose development had been stunted by slavery. He never in his entire life saw a black American who had a college degree because there were none. The first black man to receive a college degree in the United States did so two years after Jefferson's death, and the first black woman more than a quarter of a century after that. As Jefferson himself realized, his observed sample of black people was inherently biased by time and place, which is an empirical deficiency of his circumstances rather than a moral choice of his own. Others, however, used their belief that blacks were innately lacking in ability to justify, for example, forbidding the teaching of blacks. Frederick Law Olmsted's response to the claim that blacks were no more capable of being educated than animals were was to ask why there were no laws forbidding animals from being educated. The very need for such a law undermined the belief that was used to justify that law. Again, the moral significance of a belief derives from the purpose to which it is put. Otherwise, there is only a question of assessing the logic and evidence behind the belief. While facts about slavery are essential, we need more than facts. Indeed, one of the principal uses of facts is to gain some sense of causation, some explanation of why history unfolded as it did. 
In the case of slavery, it has been too readily assumed that resistance to emancipation in 19th century America was based simply on the economic interests of those who owned slaves, when in fact abolitionists were hated even in states that had outlawed slavery, and emancipation was feared even by white Southerners who owned no slaves, who were a majority of white Southerners. When slavery is viewed in worldwide perspective, still more common beliefs crumble when confronted with the facts of history. The truth should need no apology, but the truth about the history of slavery is urgently needed for reasons that go beyond historical accuracy. Both the present and the future are at stake when we look at the past. What lessons we draw from that past depend on whether it is viewed narrowly or against the broader background of world history. From a narrow perspective, the lesson that some draw from the history of slavery, automatically conceived of as the enslavement of blacks by whites, is that white people were or are uniquely evil. Against the broader background of world history, however, a very different lesson might be that no people of any color can be trusted with unbridled power over any other people, for such power has been grossly abused by whatever race, class, or political authority has held that power, whether under ancient despotism or modern totalitarianism, as well as under serfdom, slavery, or other forms of oppression. It was not because people thought slavery was right that it persisted for thousands of years. It persisted largely because people did not think about the rightness or wrongness of it at all. In very hierarchical societies where most people were born into their predetermined niches in the social complex, slaves were simply at the bottom of a long continuum of varying levels of subordination based on birth. Even in colonial America, white indentured servants were a major part of the population, and they were auctioned off just like black slaves. It was the rise of modern free societies and their accompanying ideologies in the West which made slavery stand out in stark contrast, and it was the emergence of a general questioning of institutions and beliefs in the 18th century, also in the West, that brought slavery into question. Once that happened, slavery could not stand up under more moral scrutiny. Outside the West, it did not have to, at least not until after the spread of Western ideas of individual freedom belatedly took hold in some other societies. That such an institution could last so long unchallenged on every inhabited continent is a chilling example of what can happen when people simply do not think. All right, friends, we have come to the end of Thomas Sowell's brilliant essay, The Real History of Slavery. I hope you enjoyed this series. Check out Thomas Sowell's work. Uh, I highly encourage it. You can't go wrong with any one of his books. Look him up on YouTube and listen to some of his interviews. He's one of the most important thinkers of our time. And I hope to do more short segmented series like this of other readings. It's just a matter of getting permission from authors and publishers and things like that and making sure it's something that um, people really want to hear about. And apparently this particular subject is very popular because I've had quite a few people listening from all over. 
So I'm glad you enjoyed it and hopefully there will be more. 